Exodus chapter 18 is where we're at. We're going to be working through the second half of the chapter. So last week, just a reminder of kind of where we are when we jump into halfway through a chapter. It's always going to be like this. And the way we study through the scriptures, it's kind of always like that. It's like, well, what we talk about today is going to have something to do with last week because we're just working our way through. So last week, Moses, who had just led the people out of slavery in Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, seen the miracles, manna in the desert has already uh, started to appear, they drank water out of the rocks, so there's lots of crazy stuff going, uh, but we're still only maybe three months, uh, or less than three months, from when they actually came out of Egypt, so the Passover feast, and uh, at some point along the in that timeline, we don't know when, Moses sent his wife and children back home to be with Grandpa Jethro uh, while he was leading the people across the desert. And so Grandpa Jethro brought uh, Moses' two boys and his wife back to Moses at the beginning of chapter 18. Um, and we saw this interaction uh, that was unfortunately really uncommon. It was this uh, greeting, but then Moses shared at the beginning of chapter 18, and he shared all that the Lord had done, and said, including the hardship and the struggles that had taken place, which, if you read through the book of Exodus with us, there was a lot of them, and, and a lot of them had to do with self-doubt, and Moses was like struggling with the people, and he's like, God, you're not helping the people fast enough, or in the way I want you to, and I don't think you're helping these people at all, they're all mad at me, and we're, I don't know what you're doing, I think you're going to kill the people, I mean, it was all over the map. So Moses, in this like very vulnerable and honest conversation, shares um, with Jethro, and it led to this act of worship from Jethro, which was interesting. That Jethro needed what God was doing in Moses' heart, and for Moses to be honest and vulnerable and authentic, for Jethro then to step into worship like God intended for Jethro to worship. So we talked about that last week, and that's where we end. Jethro has just offered these sacrifices uh, to the Lord in worship. Everybody's gathered together to share a meal, like a celebration. Uh, and then we pick it up in verse 13. So it says, the next day, and it's almost like abruptly like normal. <laughs> this is what happens in my life too. My in-laws come, and when they get here, they usually get here in the afternoon because they're driving from far away. It's so, like I'm always there or somewhere close when they get here. And the first night we have dinner, and it's like, hey, how are you guys doing? And then the next day, I go to work because that's what I have to do. And it's like, I'm glad you're here in laws, but I got work to go to. And that's exactly what Moses does here, right? Jethro arrives, they have a big dinner together, everybody's celebrating, and then they wake up the next morning, and it just goes back to normal. It says, the next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw that all he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for me. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, men who are trustworthy, who hate a bride, and place such men over the people as chief 
thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all the people also will go to their place in peace. So, that's what we're going to cover this Jezro comes to visit. The next day, Moses wakes up to do his normal thing. Just read it. Which is, I want you to see this. It's going to be important later. This was not some sort of special occasion. Like Moses didn't walk out to the place and people were like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm here to judge. And they're like, oh, you've never done this before. Everybody operated like this was a normal thing. Moses walked out. People were like, yep, yeah, this is what we do. They walked out. They started talking with Moses. Uh, we're told in verse 15, the people expected to hear from God in this way, right? Moses explained, and Joseph's like, what is going on? Well, the people come to me and ask, they think that if they talk to me, they'll hear from God. And so this is normal for the people. This is the way they expected to hear from God. It sounds like from verse 22, there are some small issues and some big issues, okay? Probably ranging from like minor disagreements to things that we would consider serious legal issues, you know, so we have like, I don't know, pick some Hebrew names, Ben and I and Elihu, right, and they're like arguing over who gets to put their tent in the shade, and Elihu shade in the desert, it's like, oh, I got here first, no, you and then there's probably like some big ones, it's like, you stole my cow, or something like that, and like, no, it's my cow, and yeah, I don't know, right, but they're arguing over some of these things that's going on, and Remember, and I'll remind you of this over and over, there's 2.5 million people in this group. There's not like eight people that are arguing over where to put their tent in the shade. Right? This is like Portland walking through the wilderness. Like all of it. The whole Portland area, Vancouver and all the other things, right? Like we all just decided to move through. So this is not just when Jesuit was like, this is not good. It's not like you know, you and your family of five. It's like, my kids are always screaming, I can't handle it. Like, 2.5 million, okay? This is a lot of people. Not to minimize, you know, screaming kids, because I know that's another too, but there's lots of issues going on, lots of big issues going on, and what the text says is he stays all day out there hearing these people's issues all day long until the sun went down. And Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, says, Moses, what is going on like, what is happening? What are you doing? What is this thing that I'm watching? Why are all these people coming and standing by you all day long? This is ridiculous. And Moses, look at verse 15, said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. You should probably underline that if you're a Bible underliner. Even if it's our Bible, that's fine. Whoever reads it next needs to know that. Right? So, these people are not just like... Oh, we're doing our own thing. Like, these people want to hear from God. In verse 16, when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and His laws. So you have Moses here saying, the people want to hear from God. So don't misunderstand what's going on here. There's not like some broken system where these people are all just doing what they want to do. And this isn't like celebrity pastor Moses, like building his platform, like Instagram followers. He's not like selfieing himself. He's like, yo, what up, guys? Church is going to be off the chain. You should show up at 10. Like that's how Moses is doing here, right? He is actually pointing people to God, right? And these people are coming to hear from God. Like all of this is good intentions. Nothing here is like 
bad, broken intentions of the heart. These are all good intentions. This is the people wanting to hear from God. This is Moses pointing the people to God, revealing the heart of God for this people. All this is great. Moses clearly lives a life that the people honor and respect and like expect him to be able to hear from God. Right? This is not like... Again, celebrity pastor Moses who lives in a country club, gated community somewhere that nobody ever hangs out with. They're all living in tents. If he was arguing with his wife, tent walls are thin. Everybody knows, right? If he's beating his kids, everybody knows. If he's an alcoholic, everybody knows. If he's got a porn problem, everybody knows, right? They're living in tents. And the people know enough about Moses to respect him and, and clearly... Uh, honor his decisions that he would hear from God in this moment. I spent a lot of time on that, right? Because usually when we think of something that's broken or off or something that God would tell you you had to change, we think of the intentions of our hearts, right? Like, oh, you're selfish, or oh, you're sinful, or oh, you're not wanting the right things, or you're not desiring the things. And that was my first thought when I studied the passage Usually when something's gone wrong, it's a sinful motivation or desire that's lurking somewhere in some flesh. Usually there's something that points to like self-magnification instead of God-magnification, right? That's what I expected to find in this passage. But as we read, there's not any of that. We just read through it. We don't see any of that. We don't see any hidden sin or sinful desire. There's just people wanting the right thing and trying to do the right thing in a way that makes sense to them. They're like, well, we're trying to do this thing. We want to hear from God. We know He hears from God. So maybe if we ask Him, like, just makes sense to us. And Moses is like, I get tired. And I get stand out here all day and talk to you all and feel what God's leading me to tell you. And they're like, okay, well, we don't know what else to do, so let's try this. And Jethro asked Moses, what is happening here? And Moses explains what is happening. And look at what Jethro says. Verse 17. What you're doing is not good. Wait, what? What do you mean what we're doing is not good? These people all want to do what God wants them to do. That's a win in my book. Have you lived in the world? There's not very many people who want to do what God wants them to do. Let alone who are willing to spend the time and energy to come stand in line all day to hear from God. Like, that is rare. Most of are like, I got it. I'll figure this out. When I need your help, God, I'll ask. But I don't on this one. And I'll ask if it doesn't take too long, right? And so, like, this is, like, this is impressive. If there was a congregation of people that are like, hey, it's so important to me to hear from God on this issue. And I want to make sure that I'm doing things the way God wants me to do them. I'll come stand in line from sunup to sundown to make sure I am doing what God wants me to do here. That's impressive to me. That's impressive. And Jethro looks at it and he says, it's not good. What? How is that? These people's hearts are pure. Not only are they standing there from sunup to sundown, but they are humbly submitting to whatever Moses says. Like, that's impressive too. We live in America. Like, we don't want to send anybody. It's like, I don't know, tell me what you're going to tell me. No, I don't like that. Next, right? We just keep hopping from advice to advice until we find someone who tells us what we want to hear. 
Right? These people are listening to Moses and submitting to what he says. This is impressive. And yet, still, Jethro says it's not good. It would seem that from the text, you can have good intentions and still be doing something that is not good. You could have absolutely pure intentions, and Jethro would still watch and say, what you're doing is not good. We have this idea that if I'm trying to do the right thing, and my motivations are good, then that's all I need to be concerned with. Right? If I'm trying to do what's right in my mind and heart, my heart is good, I'm trying to do something for the right reasons, good intentions, good motivation, and that's enough. And Jethro, in Exodus chapter 18, in the Word of God, would tell you, that might not be enough. Now to be clear, 99% of the time, I'm a pastor, so I feel like maybe I'm qualified to say this, 99% uh, of the time, the problem is wrong intentions. Okay, most of the time, like, people are like, you need help, and I'm like, you shouldn't be doing that. Right? I mean, there's like sin in your heart. And it's, I'm not putting that on you. It's me too, right? Like, I get in arguments with my wife. And it's usually sinful intentions. So most of the time, that's what we're dealing with. We're talking about hypocrisy, self-magnification, sinful desire, selfishness. Usually the problem is we don't take honoring God serious enough. We don't want to do what God calls us to do. We don't want to submit to His wisdom. We don't want to wait around to hear His voice. We don't want to be patient while He works. But here in this particular passage, we get insight into a scenario where the motivations and the hearts of the people included are not the problem. The intentions are not the problem. The outcomes are the problem. The fruit of the way they are going about doing what they are doing is not good. The Bible actually teaches that we're supposed to be fruit inspectors. Like we're not just supposed to like do our lives, but we're supposed to look at how our lives are producing fruit. Right? That's what Jesus called the effects of living the life that he called you to in the New Testament. He calls it fruit. Later on, you go into the New Testament and it names some of the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Right? And, and so we're supposed to take a look at those things. We're supposed to not just say, well, my heart's right. I'm trying to do the right thing. So whatever that turns out, that's everybody else's problem. We're actually supposed to take a look and say, how is it turning out? What are the outcomes of what I'm trying to do? If your good intentions are not leading to good outcomes, then you need to rethink how you're going about doing what you're doing. You can have a right heart, but the results might not be good. And the results here are an excess of work for Moses. Right? A God who's been preaching rest and understanding your limitations, right? That's not directly in the passage, but that's an idea uh, that we've been talking about as a church leadership team and embracing the limitations and saying like, I need to rest, I need to stop working, I need to stop adding. We've been talking about several times in this uh, story of Exodus where God's like, no, too much is bad. Whether it was too much Passover lamb or too much manna or, you know, over and over there's these things where God's like, you need to avoid excess. And now Moses is like, I'm going to do as much work as I possibly can for the Lord. And God's like, no, too much is bad. This is excess. This is not good. I've been going through this kind of massive overhaul of 
the way I think about this and do this, basically, since we planned the church six years ago. Uh, not to, like, make myself, myself sound super spiritual, but, like, I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm like Moses, which, you know, that doesn't sound very humble, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm just, like, the greatest leader of God's people that's ever lived. But anyway, um... <laughs> Like, I feel like I'm trying to do the right thing. I mean, there's probably like some self-magnification in planting a church. Like, it wouldn't feel the worst thing in the world if this church had thousands of people in it and they all came to hear me talk, right? So I've got to be aware of that. I've got to have people around me that are like, you're arrogant and you really like the spotlight and you like the mic in your hand. Like, hopefully I've surrounded myself with people that would tell me the truth in those areas, right? But for the most part, I think me and my wife just wanted to plant a church and like, Teach the word and like see what happens, right? And watch God do amazing things in people's lives. And we have enough of a history where that has happened when we preach the word and love on people and see how the gathered community and the body of Christ like lives itself out. And so we're like, let's do more of that. But at some point, right, even though I feel like mostly I had good intentions, I had to start looking at what was actually happening as a result of those good intentions and change some things. I'll give you the clearest example in my mind. Um, so, like, when we plant a church, like, somebody's got to, like, buy all the equipment and set everything up. And I had a little bit of experience. So, like, I bought all the speakers and the stage and all this stuff. And, like, I was getting ready for you guys and really excited about it. And, and just because I bought all this stuff and, like, had a little experience about it, like, I knew how to operate it and plug it in and stuff like that. So, when people would come, like, for example, I see Stephen here. That's not embarrassing when I said that out loud. But Stephen plays electric guitar for us. And so Stephen would come, and Stephen's a great guy. I love his heart. Um, he's going to be teaching here in a couple of weeks. So I'll pray for him. Um, he would come, and he'd set up his stuff, and he'd practice, and he'd be ready, and he'd be like, he'd want to use his gift. And I would be grateful that Stephen was using his gift. And, like, and, and he would be struggling with something with the sound. He'd be like playing, and, you know, and I'd look back, and whoever was at the soundboard, or maybe there was nobody at the soundboard. And I'd be like, dang it! Like, Stephen here is, like, investing in this, and I want to encourage that. I want to be a blessing to him. And, like, he's over here, and then somebody over there is not paying attention or doesn't know they shouldn't be there. Maybe it's a leadership failure on my part. I didn't train him while I have. I don't know. Something's gone wrong so that Stephen's not getting the help he needs. So then I go and start finding the sound guy, right? And I'd be like, sound guy, where are you? We need you behind the board, right? And, and so, like, in my heart, the motivation was, like, I love Stephen, and I want to do everything I can to help him use his gift and be a blessing in the community because I really value that. But then I'm yelling at some sound guy who's now bummed out. He's like, Jared's always mad at me, and Jared doesn't think I'm doing a good job, right? And, like, uh, if you're a sound guy, it's, I've done it to, like, 12 of them, so I'm not going to make any more specific, so I apologize for that. But so was that, you, never, you know what never happened? Stephen never came to me and said, thanks for yelling at people for me. I really feel loved when that happens. I really feel valued when you're angry with somebody else on my behalf. It never happens. So I start looking at the fruit. Stephen's not feeling any more love when I'm angry with the sound guy. The sound guys are not feeling built up and encouraged in the Lord and wanting to help when I'm short with them. Right? So even though my heart was just to start a church and preach the gospel and see lives change and all that stuff was happening and encourage people to use their gifts, I got to take a look at the outcomes, and the outcomes were not good. 
And I've had to apologize from the stage several times for people that I've communicated with and they haven't felt loved or heard or led in a way that honors Christ. And uh, hopefully you guys are patient with me because continuing process. But I feel very much like Moses in this. And like people have come to me and said, hey, what you're doing is not good. And how could it be not good? I feel like I have good intentions. It's exactly what's happening with Moses. And this happens all the time. It's not just church planter, God, right? It's in families, right? I talk to dad, and dad works all the time to pay the bills, provide comfortable lives for their families. Their intentions are good. I'm going to provide for my family. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to, you know, they're going to have nice things. They're going to be comfortable. But the families don't feel loved and cherished just because dad brings home a great paycheck and bought him a nice house and they have a lot of toys. They don't feel valued and cared for. Even though the bills are paid, they have nice things. Like the outcome's not good. We need to be aware that we could have good intentions and the way it's going in our lives could not be good. The outcomes could still be bad. Now here's the thing. Probably all of you have some situation in your life where this is taking place. You have good intentions and you have good motivations, but the results are not good. But in my experience, even though we have all these circumstances, almost none of us have anyone in our lives who can say this to us. Like if somebody just came up to you and was like, hey, what you're doing is not good, you're like, you don't know me, right? Like you just be like, what are you talking about? Right? That's just kind of like the American way. We don't have, like we're individual, like everything you do it yourself, and like we'll figure it all out, and we can like patchwork together our lives, and we can build our own thing. And for someone to come into our world and be like, that's not good, and be like, it works for me, it's my truth, right? It's like we just don't have people in our lives who would even be able to tell us if something wasn't good. And even if they didn't muster the courage, which is rare, right? Because like we live in a world where that person's not gonna listen to me. Right? So I'm gonna save my breath. But even if they did somehow muster the courage to say, like, hey, I don't know, like, maybe you should think about this, maybe the outcomes are not good, we wouldn't listen. Even if that person was in our lives and had the boldness to say, hey, what you're doing is not good, we wouldn't listen to. This is interesting because I think Jethro probably has the confidence to say this to Moses because of Moses' humility and honesty in the first half of the chapter. When you talk to like arrogant guy that's got everything figured out, he's just telling you how great he is all the time, like nobody wants to tell that guy how to fix his life. I'm this, and I did this, and I did this, and we're doing so good here, and I got this all figured out. Like, let me tell you, like, you just, you just know. Anybody, you have an arrogant person in your life that you know, you're just not going to tell anyone to? Yeah, it happens all the time, right? We know those people. Our culture does not produce or encourage the types of relationship where honest feedback is encouraged. Like, our culture just doesn't produce. So if you're just waiting for, like, good, God-loving, honest people to like show up in your life. That's not happening accidentally. It's just not. Most adults in our world don't listen to anybody. And if you're thinking to yourself, I would listen to this person if it were a really big deal. That's probably not true. Right? We all tell ourselves, I would listen. Right? But in my experience as a pastor, I usually sit down with your wife or your husband 
or your kids, or somebody you're having conflict with, maybe it's a friend, and if I were to say, like, does so-and-so listen to you? They would be like, uh... They wouldn't start with a yes, they'd start with a, uh... Because the answer's usually no. The answer's usually no. And this is not just theory for me. Right? This is something I'm realizing about myself. Right? I'm not pointing anybody else out. If you sat my life down, and you're like, does Jared listen to you? Uh, if you sat down with Pastor Ben, and was like, does Jared listen to you? Uh, it'd be a longer uh, for him. Right? <laughs> go, go down the leadership team. Twice a week, the leadership team gathers in my house to pray for you guys and, and seek the Lord's will for this church. And, and if you went down, ask Krista, ask Sarah, ask Zach, ask Hannah. Just Jared, listen. solution to this broken outcome. Verse 18 he said, you and the people will certainly wear yourselves out, but the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring your cases to God. You shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make them know the way in which they must walk in my things too. Moreover, look for able men from all the people who fear God or trustworthy, who hate a bride and place of such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all the people also will go to their place in peace. Now, while I do think there's a huge problem in our culture and probably just humanity of us not listening to anybody in our lives, I do want to point out how Jethro goes about this that makes this effective. Jethro doesn't say, I'm the expert, here's what you need to do. Jethro says in verse 19, I will give you advice and God will be with you. And then he says it again in verse 23, God will direct you. Right? So it's almost like Jethro's like, hey, here's, here's what I see Here's what I think. Take it to God. Pray about it. See how maybe God uses that in your life. Right? Jethro's not like, I'm the authority, this is what you need to do. Jethro's like, hey Moses, if you like tweak this a little bit and you listen to God and let him direct you on some of the details, I think this might be helpful. And if you do this and God is with you while you do that, I think you'll go into a better place and the people go in peace. Right? That's a much different thing than most Christians are like, let me fix your life. I'll tell you what to do. What if you said to somebody, here's kind of what I see, maybe here's a problem, here's maybe a solution, but I don't know. Take it, pray about it, see how the Holy Spirit leads you. Right? That's a mature way to handle it. That's usually not how we do it. Right? Usually we're like, I know what you need to do, here's what you need to do, and if they don't listen to you, you're like, idiot. I told you not to do that. Maybe God doesn't want him to do exactly what you told him to do. Maybe God gave you some wisdom in the situation you spoke in your lives, and God was leading them on a journey that was like, yeah, I can take part of what he said, 
Maybe I just need to be aware of this situation. Holy Spirit's going to lead him in a way that doesn't make sense to you, but it's better than what you told him to do. I don't know, but Jethro here doesn't just tell him he's doing it wrong. This is what you should do. He said, here's what I'm seeing, and the Lord needs to be with you. It's not just follow my advice. It's take my advice into account, but mostly God needs to be with you and leading you in this. Because there's some of you who are like, well, pastor said you need to listen to each other, right? So you were going to go home and just tell your wife what to do. And be like, did you hear the sermon today? Jared said you don't listen to anybody, so you need to listen to me. No, actually, it's not a free pass to just tell people what to do now, right? You're free to tell your wife, here's what I see. Go pray about it. And whatever you and the Lord decide on finding that. You can do that all day long. I'm running out of time. This is going to be a two-parter. You're going to, you're going to get some of this next week. Here's where I'm tempted to live, and I think you might be tempted to live here too. I would gladly listen to someone tell me where I was wrong if I was confident they knew what they were talking about. God just happened to put a whole bunch of people who don't know what they're talking about in my life, so I, it's hard for me to listen to them. Right? And this is why I'm not Moses. Because if I was Moses and Jethro came, right, and he's like, what you doing is not good. Picture this in your mind, okay? Moses is leading 2.5 million people. Moses is the guy who held the staff that turned the Nile River into blood, right? Moses did the miracles before Pharaoh. Moses was the one that saw the burning bush that heard the name of God for the first time. Moses led the people across the Red Sea. Moses had his hands up when they won the battle against Amalek. Moses watched water come from the rock because of the staff that he struck the rock with. Moses has been doing some of this stuff, right? So Jethro comes up. Jethro's a... Farmer, no, rancher, no, what do they call Shepherd, there we go. <laughs> Jethro's a shepherd from the middle of nowhere, okay? And Jethro looks at Moses and says, Moses, what you're doing is not good. And if I was Moses, praise God, I'm not. I'd be like, oh, Jethro, I hear you, man. Remind me again what the name of the river that you turned to blood was. Right, because I turned the Nile to blood, which is the largest river in the world. And you turned, which river was it that you turned to blood? The name, the name, oh, there isn't one. Oh, yeah. Right? I I appreciate your advice, Jethro. You and your 34 shepherd. I mean, hey, big deal in Midian. I got it. Big fish, small pond. I'm leading 2.5 million people here, man. I just crossed the Red Sea to get here. You crossed your front lawn. Right? Like, I get it. I need you. You're trying to help me here. You just, you have no idea what's going on here, Jethro. You don't, you and I, like, we're just, good shot, buddy. Hey, thanks for the effort. And that's what we all, we do that, right? We're like, yeah, you just don't know. Like, you just, think about this. Moses is listening to a guy who has less experience, who is probably less spiritually connected to God than him. A less mature follower of the one true God than him. Less responsibility, less of a leadership gift, less Holy Spirit working in power through his life. And Moses listens to that guy. 
If you're going to live the life that God wants you to live, you're going to have to be able to listen to people who you consider less than yourself. And you're probably prideful in thinking that, but I'm going to let it slide. Right? You're going to have to learn from people who are less mature than you. You're going to have to learn from people who are less understanding, less educated, less experienced. It's just the way it works. God over and over and over and over in the scriptures speaks to the people he is leading through people who are less than them. Culminating in one story of a guy getting spoken to by a donkey. If that's not less than, there is no less than, right? The donkey's like, what are you doing, man? God's walking away and you keep trying to go. He hit you with his whip, right? So this is not like a one-time thing in the Bible. This is over and over and over and over again. God chooses to communicate truth to his people from the least expected places. From people that you would honestly, if you were real honest, that you wouldn't do this because we're church people, we pretend like everything's fine. But if we were real honest for a second, we would be like, I can't receive from God from that guy. Not from her. Anybody else, not them. Right? And like, that's the worst version of it. The best version of it sounds very spiritual, but people are like, I just want a mentor. And I hear it all the time. I just want to find like a mature, like godly, like wise, like older couple to like come alongside us in marriage, or older man to like train me up. And hey, I'm all for that. Find those people, right? If you can find one and they'll invest in you and you can learn from them, I'm all for it. Don't know if you've noticed, there's not a lot of those folks running around in the world. So you're probably going to have to listen to God speaking to people who you don't really want to speak to. And I'm seven minutes old. We're in close to you. I'll give you a preview of what next week's going to be about. This is normal for them. This is normal. And Jethro says it's not good. I think we all expect coming to church that like the like crazy thing that we do wrong, God to like that's not good. Like the once a year when we have too much to drink, or the every six months when we get in a big fight and we yell at our wives, or like we really screw it up with our kids, we like spank them out of anger or something. We all kind of expect God to be like, that's not good, and be like, I know, I know, I know. But that's not what this story is about. This is Moses and the people just doing their normal routine, and God comes and says, Your normal's not good. Just the way your normal day, the normal way you expect to hear from me, the normal way you think you'll hear my voice and interact, the normal way you're living your life is not good. Worship team, come on. We're going to finish this in this morning.